welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Abba, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us and for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount this morning, Lord, that you would speak deeply to us. I pray that we would hear your voice, the Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction to our hearts in all of the ways that we need it. Lord, that we would hear your voice in powerful ways, ways that... uh, that, that expose the sin that is in our hearts in ways that will, will help us to see and to know and to understand you better. We ask that in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, wow, that can't be. That's, that's not what I told you to do. Here. My computer is deciding it knows exactly what I want it to do. And, it's wrong. You're wrong, computer. Um. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm excited because we are out of theory land and we're going into the Bible. The Bible. I'm trying to decide which notes I want to teach from here. Probably those. Okay. Well, let us begin at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. When you sing, you begin with ABC. ABC. Amen. Somebody knows. Somebody knows the sound of music in this room. Maria von Trapp told us that the beginning was a very good place to start. But anyway, uh, Matthew chapter five. Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are possibly the most important three chapters in the Bible. Uh, I'm saying that because that's what Matthew set out to do. Remember, we talked about biblical inspiration. We talked about uh, how, you know, people weren't just zapped. We need to understand when we're reading the Bible that, that it was written by humans under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means that every author, when they come to, to begin to write this stuff, and especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were doing something specific. All the rest of the New Testament, almost, are, is, is us, we are sneaking a read of someone else's mail. Um, so we have half of a conversation 
which, and it's all fantastic and wonderful and amazing, but we need to remember that, hey, this is a letter that was written to someone else for a reason. We need to know what that reason was. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not writing a letter. They were writing a gospel. That was their choice. That is what they wanted to do. If you look at the beginning, I, th- I believe it's the beginning of Mark. He says, and this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. It's like the, he, was abs- he knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to give us a foundational document that told us about our Savior Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, what he taught, and what he was trying to do. It is, it is 101 level documents. So you guys are, understand what, what I mean by that. 101 is the first class you take. It's the introduction to a subject. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are exactly that. And the authors knew that is what the Holy Spirit inspired them to do, and that is what they sat down to do, was to teach us about Jesus. These are the ABCs. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with... That is how this begins. Okay? And when you're following Jesus, you begin with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're going to zero in on specific texts, which I think we should as followers of Jesus, that even within Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's a lot to read through, although not as much as you might think. You should, you should be able to sit down and read Mark in about an hour. You should be able to sit down and read Matthew in about two hours. Uh, Luke is longer, John is longer, and John is confusing. <laughs> Plus, John, John is my favorite, but he can be confusing. And also, John was writing, most likely, with the other three Gospels in his hand. So he had, he had at least Mark, and we think probably Matthew and Luke as well, sitting there open on the table. And he's writing what they didn't write. He's also commenting on what they wrote as someone who was present. Okay, so uh, because John is the latest of the Gospels and John leaves out a bunch of stuff that the other Gospels, which are called the synoptics. Are you guys aware of that term? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. They're called that because they are connected to each other. Uh, They are, we think, Matthew and Luke were written with Mark in their hand. And that they were telling the same story, but to a different group of people. And so it sounded different when they were telling the story. Matthew was telling the story to Jewish believers and to the Hebrew people. He was trying to win Jews to Christ. And that's why he wrote his... And so all through Matthew, you're going to find him referring back to Jewish stuff and saying... And pointing back to Jewish stories and saying, this is what Jesus, see, this is how Jesus fulfilled that scripture. And this is how Jesus fulfilled this scripture. He's writing a narrative argument that Jesus is Messiah. That's what Matthew was trying to do. Okay. Luke is writing the story out for a Gentile audience, a Greek audience. And Luke has, if you read Greek, you would see that Luke's Greek is brilliant. He was a doctor. He was a genius. And he, his, his language and his use of language is, is incredible. Luke's, uh, for Greek speakers, for people that read Greek even now, Luke is one of the most fun to read because he's just 
beautifully written. John also, but John's confusing. John is almost too poetic, almost too, like there's stuff that he says that you just left scratching your head going, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What? <laughs> what? John, what are you talking about, man? He kind of does a bit, um, but he's your typical poet. He was probably a four on the Enneagram, and he's your typical poet who is like, I'm going to say it so it makes you feel what I want you to feel, but just don't think too hard about the words. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, that, that's kind of how I read John. Like, John is like, I'm going to paint pictures with words, and it's supposed to, it's supposed to just give you a, a feeling, not necessarily... Uh, don't, don't parse these words too deeply, although the, the Christian tradition, I, I am in the middle of a 26-week class that is going through the book of John. Each class is two and a half hours, and we are moving through the book of John with several theologians um, who are teaching it, and it, specifically the one guy who's kind of the lead voice is this Eastern Orthodox theologian named John Baer, and he is, he is a, stu a student of John's writing and all of the people that were John's disciples specifically. Okay, so there were people that like John personally discipled in the gospel. Like there was a guy named Polycarp, best name ever, right? And he was, he was John's boy, okay? He was, John taught him about Jesus. And then there's Irenaeus, who was Polycarp's boy. So, uh, and, and this, this guy is, first of all, he's Eastern Orthodox, and they're always a little bit, like, out there, man. That's why I love them. They're so fantastic. But, uh, but then he's, you know, studied these people in the original language his entire life. And you listen to his stuff. I have to go back. I have to rewind the video and, like, listen to it, like, multiple times because I'm going... Plus, he's British, and that, you know, makes everything better, always. Okay, so <clears throat> let's get to Matthew 4 and 5, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So when we get to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Matthew is taking a bunch of the teachings of Jesus, and he's condensing them all and putting them in one place. Okay? And he sets the scene that this was what Jesus taught on the mountain, to this large gathering of his disciples. Now, uh, uh, and that is, this is, I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but what we also need to understand is that's not the only place that Jesus taught it. There's also another place called the Sermon on the Plain, etc. Jesus was an itinerant preacher, which means that he went from town to town, and he probably gave the same sermon, basically, to every town that he went to. And this is the distillation of that sermon. These are the things Jesus said over and over and over and over again. Matthew was not sitting, of course, Matthew was not sitting in the back of the crowd taking notes on Jesus' sermon. They just didn't do that. They were a verbal culture. And so what they would do is they would listen and they could give stuff back to you almost immediately because that's how they were trained to operate. Okay, but so there wasn't anybody... Now, there's a really horrible movie called The Life of Brian. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's a Monty Python film. And uh, it is set in the time of Jesus. It's not about Jesus, but it's set in the time of Jesus. 
and it's kind of makes fun of religion and it's beautiful. But the, but the opening scene is at the Sermon on the Mount and you've got Brian and his mother and a couple other people who are at the very back of the crowd. And Jesus is like, blessed all the peacemakers, blah, blah, blah. And then, and Brian's mom, who's played by a man, looks at Brian and says, what did he say? Like, cause that's all of the women in, in Monty Python talk that way, unless they're actually women. Uh, and Brian's like, I think he said, blessed are the cheese makers. But anyway, <laughs> I just think that's funny. <laughs> so we're going to read, because I told you context is king, remember? So we're going to read the, first few, the last few chapters of chapter four, verses of chapter 4. And then we're going to start with chapter 5. Remember that the chapter and verse numbers were not put in there by the original author. They were put in there later to help people find specific passages. But the, the bad part about that is we tend to just chop things up and think like this is a whole piece when stuff blends into each other. And a lot of times we stop reading before we should, and so we miss out. So uh, starting with verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Okay, so Jesus has been going around preaching and performing miracles all through the region. He probably preached this message all those places that he went or something akin to it, maybe just a piece of it, maybe all of it, maybe more than this. But this is the same message that he was saying over and over and over. Okay, and he would, he would do miracles and then he would preach and the miracles would draw crowds and then those crowds would follow him places and so right now, he's standing on top of a mountain, okay? Well, not yet, but in a, in, after verse 1, okay? He sees that there's thousands of people following him, so he says, okay. And he goes up a mountain. So when Jesus saw the crowds, is verse 1 of chapter 5. He had the whole region in front of him, Okay? They had come to him because of the miracles. He had demonstrated the kingdom. That's what the miracles were. The miracles were a demonstration of kingdom power. This is what it looks like when God's kingdom collides with the earthly kingdom. This, this is it. This is proof that God's kingdom is at hand, which is, the, which is what Jesus has been preaching all along. If you go back and look earlier, it says Jesus went around preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' initial message. The kingdom of God is here. Not the kingdom of Rome, not the kingdom of, of, of uh, the Jews. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is here. It's close. It's nearby. It's touchable, experienceable. And to show you what that looks like, here's a blind person, boom, now they can see. Here's the same person, get up off the ground, now they can walk. Here's a person that has a demon, not no more, right? No more demons, okay? And people are freaking out because God is going, this is what it looks like when God comes close to his people and begins 
to allow his authority to be made manifest in the midst of his people, right? That's the context of this sermon. This is a revival service, a healing service, where Jesus has just done crazy miracles. And now that I have your attention, he says. They had tasted kingdom. Now it's time. <laughs> I have in my notes like he was handing out free samples. <laughs> the first one's free, but now I'm going to talk to you about what it, Jesus, Jesus says. All right, now. And then he goes up on a mountain. Okay, why does he go up on a mountain? Why does he go? He does go up to he does go up and sit down, but that's not why he so sat down in a boat out on the ocean. Why does he go up on a mountain? To, no, he's he, he's calling them with him. He's not trying to escape this time. There's been other times. Why is he? It, I mean, there have been times when he's been when he was trying to escape, but this time is not that. That might be part of it, but there's something else. He goes up on a mountain. I want you to think back. Remember, this book was written to who? Yes. And what happened on a mountain in the Jewish history's past? Mount, Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain and came back with the law. Right? Jesus is purposefully echoing Mount Sinai here. That is his choice. He is echoing. Anytime you see an echo of Old Testament scripture, pay attention to it because it's there for a reason. That's how all of scripture works. Scripture does these little echoes all the time. And the reason it does those echoes is so that you will have that in your head as the context of what is about to happen. For instance... Do we have time for this? I think we do. What did Jesus say as he hung on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. After that. Uh, into your hands I release my spirit. Before that. It is finished. <laughs> Before that. Oh, God, why did Jesus say to me? That one. And how many of you have heard sermons that have said that God looked away from the Father, that, that the Father looked away from the Son because the sin of the world was on him? How many of you have heard that sermon? That's just a lie. It's not true. They have not studied. I, I love those guys, but that's not what's happening there. Jesus was quoting a psalm. Okay, he was quoting, I think it's Psalm 21. Jesus was doing himself, doing this little echo thing that I'm talking about, which is everywhere through Scripture. The Bible Project guys call it a hyperlink. You know what I'm talking about? When you see on a page, like if you're reading an article and one of the words is blue, and you're like, oh, well, that means click on this and you'll find out more about this subject. Well, the Bible has, all, has hyperlinks all through it. All the whole Bible is full of hyperlinks, okay? And all of it is those little echoes that point back to something that happened earlier. And Jesus quoting the beginning of that psalm, I think it's Psalm 21. Let me find it. Am I wrong about that? No. Actually, look at it. Don't give me the Wikipedia page on Psalm 21. Your cat can post on Wikipedia. 
No, it's not Psalm 21. Well, which one is it? It's Psalm 22. I'm so close. I was really close. Psalm 22. Somebody got it? Psalm 22. This is in the English Standard. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh! How many times have you referenced like a worship song by singing the first, three, the first few words of the song? You know, my, well, that's not one you would know. You know, you know, <clears throat> you know did, but they start singing, you know, you sing like the chorus or something. You're like, you're like, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. That song, what's that song called? You know, and everybody's like, oh, it means this, right? Okay. <clears throat> you know, so that's what Jesus was doing. He was referencing his favorite psalm. And if you read this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from my words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. And you're, you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you, will deli- and you delivered them. To you they cried and they were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and de- despised by the people. Hmm. All who see me mock me. Mouths me, they wag their head. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me to trust you at my mother's breast, and on you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the root, to my jaws. Uh, what did he say? I thirst from the cross. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers, the Romans, have encircles me. Are you ready for this? This is verse 16. They have pierced my hands and feet. Whoa. They stare. I can count all my bones. They stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing. They cast lots. Could there be a more direct? I mean, that actually happened. But you, O Lord, do not be afar off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the... Abba, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us and for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount this morning, Lord, that you would speak deeply to us. I pray that we would hear your voice, the Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction to our hearts in all of the ways that we need it. Lord, that we would hear your voice in powerful ways, ways that that, that expose the sin that is in our hearts in ways that will, will help us to see and to know and to understand you better. We ask that in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, wow, that can't be. That's, that's not what I told you to do. Here. My computer is deciding it knows exactly what I want it to do. And, it's wrong. You're wrong, computer. 
Um. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm excited because we are out of theory land and we're going into the Bible. The Bible. Trying to decide which notes I want to teach from here. Probably those. Okay. Well, let us begin at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. A, B, C. Amen. Somebody knows, somebody knows the sound of music in this room. Maria Von Trapp told us that the beginning was a very good place to start. But anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 5, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are possibly the most important three chapters in the Bible. Uh, I, I'm saying that because that's what Matthew set out to do. Remember, we talked about biblical inspiration. We talked about uh, how, you know, people weren't just zapped. We need to understand when we're reading the Bible that, that it was written by humans under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means... That every author, when they come to, to begin to write this stuff, and especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were doing something specific. All the rest of the New Testament, almost, are, is, is us, we are sneaking a read of someone else's mail. Um, so we have half of a conversation. Uh, which And it's all fantastic and wonderful and amazing, but we need to remember that... Hey, this is a letter that was written to someone else for a reason. We need to know what that reason was. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not writing a letter. They were writing a gospel. That was their choice. That is what they wanted to do. If you look at the beginning, I believe it's the beginning of Mark. He says, and this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. It's like the, he was... He knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to give us a foundational document that told us about our Savior Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, what he taught, and what he was trying to do. It is, it is 101 level documents. So you guys understand what I mean by that. 101 is the first class you take. It's the introduction to a subject. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are exactly that. And the authors knew that is what the Holy Spirit inspired them to do, and that is what they sat down to do, was to teach us about Jesus. These are the ABCs. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with... That is how this begins. Okay? And when you're following Jesus, you begin with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're going to zero in on specific texts, which I think we should, as followers of Jesus, that even within Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's a lot to read through, although not as much as you might think. You should, you should be able to sit down and read Mark in about an hour. You should be able to sit down and read Matthew in about two hours. Uh, Luke is longer, John is longer, and John is confusing. <laughs> Plus, John, John is my favorite, but he can be confusing. And also, John was writing most likely with the other three Gospels in his hand. 
So he had, he had at least Mark, and we think probably Matthew and Luke as well, sitting there open on the table, and he's writing what they didn't write. He's also commenting on what they wrote as someone who was present. Okay, so uh, because John is the latest of the Gospels, and John leaves out a bunch of stuff that the other Gospels, which are called the synoptics, are you guys aware of that term? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. They're called that because they are connected to each other. Uh, they are, we think, Matthew and Luke were written with Mark in their hand. And that they were telling the same story, but to a different group of people, and so it sounded different when they were telling the story. Matthew was telling the story to Jewish believers and to the Hebrew people. He was trying to win Jews to Christ, and that's why he wrote his... And so all through Matthew, you're going to find him referring back to Jewish stuff and saying, and pointing back to Jewish stories and saying, this is what Jesus... See, this is how Jesus fulfilled that scripture, and this is how Jesus fulfilled this scripture. He's writing a narrative argument that Jesus is Messiah. That's what Matthew was trying to do. Okay? Luke is writing a, the story out for a Gentile audience, a Greek audience. And Luke has, if you read Greek, you would see that Luke's Greek is brilliant. He was a doctor. He was a genius. And he, his, his language and his use of language is, is incredible. Luke's, uh, for Greek speakers, for people that read Greek even now, Luke is one of the most fun to read because he's just beautifully written. John also, but John's confusing. John is almost too poetic. Almost too, like there's stuff that he says that you just left scratching your head going, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What? <laughs> what? John, what are you talking about, man? He kind of does a bit, um, but he's your typical poet. He was probably a four on the Enneagram, and he's your typical poet who is like, I'm going to say it so it makes you feel what I want you to feel, but just don't think too hard about the words. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, that, that's kind of how I read John. Like, John is like, I'm going to paint pictures with words, and it's supposed to, it's supposed to just give you a, a feeling, not necessarily... Uh, don't, don't parse these words too deeply, although the, the Christian tradition, I, I am in the middle of a 26-week class that is going through the book of John. Each class is two and a half hours, and we are moving through the book of John with several theologians um, who are teaching it, and it, specifically the one guy who's kind of the lead voice is this Eastern Orthodox theologian named John Baer, and he is, he is a, stu a student of John's writing and all of the people that were John's disciples specifically. Okay, so there were people that like John personally discipled in the gospel. Like there was a guy named Polycarp, best name ever, right? And he was, he was John's boy, okay? He was, John taught him about Jesus. And then there's Irenaeus, who was Polycarp's boy. So, uh, <clears throat> and and this this guy is first of all he's Eastern Orthodox, and they're always a little bit like, 
out there, man. That's why I love them. They're so fantastic. But uh, but then he's, you know, studied these people in the original language his entire life. And it, you listen to his stuff. I have to go back. I have to rewind the video and like listen to it like multiple times because I'm going. Plus he's British, and that you know makes everything better always. Okay, so <clears throat> let's get to Matthew four and five. Uh, Matthew five, six, and seven. So when we get to Matthew five, six, and seven. Matthew is taking a bunch of the teachings of Jesus and he's condensing them all and putting them in one place. Okay? And he sets the scene that this was what Jesus taught on the mountain to this large gathering of his disciples. Now, uh, uh, and that is, this is, I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but what we also need to understand is that's not the only place that Jesus taught it. There's also another place called the Sermon on the Plain, etc. Jesus was an itinerant preacher, which means that he went from town to town, and he probably gave the same sermon, basically, to every town that he went to. And this is the distillation of that sermon. These are the things Jesus said over and over and over and over again. Matthew was not sitting, of course, Matthew was not sitting in the back of the crowd taking notes on Jesus' sermon. They just didn't do that. They were a verbal culture. And so what they would do is they would listen and they could give stuff back to you almost immediately because that's how they were trained to operate. Okay. But so there wasn't anybody. Now, there's a really horrible movie called The Life of Brian. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's a Monty Python film. And uh, it is set in the time of Jesus. It's not about Jesus, but it's set in the time of Jesus. And it's kind of makes fun of religion and it's beautiful. But the, but the opening scene is at the Sermon on the Mount. And you've got Brian and his mother and a couple other people who are at the very back of the crowd. And Jesus is like, blessed all the peacemakers, blah, blah, blah. And then and Brian's mom, who's played by a man, looks at Brian and says, what did he say? Like, because that's all of the women in in Monty Python talk that way, unless they're actually women. Uh, and Brian's like, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. But anyway, <laughs> I just think that's funny. But <laughs> so we're going to read, because I told you context is king, remember? So we're going to read the, first few, the last few chapters of chapter four, verses of chapter 4, and then we're going to start with chapter 5. Remember that the chapter and verse numbers were not put in there by the original author. They were put in there later to help people find specific passages. But the, the bad part about that is we tend to just chop things up and think like this is a whole piece when stuff blends into each other. And a lot of times we stop reading before we should and so we miss out. So uh, starting with verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Okay, so Jesus has been going around preaching and performing miracles all through the region. He probably preached this message all those places that he went, 
or something akin to it, maybe just a piece of it, maybe all of it, maybe more than this. But this is the same message that he was saying over and over and over. Okay, and he, was, he, would, he would do miracles and then he would preach and the miracles would draw crowds and then those crowds would follow him places. And so right now he's standing on top of a mountain. Okay. Well, not yet, but in a, in, after verse 1, okay? He sees that there's thousands of people following him, so he says, okay, and he goes up a mountain. So when Jesus saw the crowds, is verse 1 of chapter 5. He had the whole region in front of him, okay? They had come to him because of the miracles. He had demonstrated the kingdom. That's what the miracles were. The miracles were a demonstration of kingdom power. This is what it looks like when God's kingdom collides with the earthly kingdom. This, this is it. This is proof that God's kingdom is at hand, which is, the, which is what Jesus has been preaching all along. If you go back and look earlier, it says Jesus went around preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' initial message. The kingdom of God is here. Not the kingdom of Rome, not the kingdom of, of, of uh, the Jews. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is here. It's close. It's nearby. It's touchable, experienceable. And to show you what that looks like, here's a blind person. Boom. Now they can see. Here's person get up off the ground now they can walk here's a person that has a demon not no more right no more demons okay and people are freaking out because God is going this is what it looks like when God comes close to his people and begins to allow his authority to be made manifest in the midst of his people right that's the context of this sermon this is a revival service a healing service where Jesus has just done crazy miracles. And now that I have your attention, he says. They had tasted kingdom. Now it's time. <laughs> I have in my notes like he was handing out free samples. <laughs> it's like, the first one's free, but now I'm going to talk to you about what it, Jesus, Jesus says. All right, now. And then he goes up on a mountain. Okay, why does he go up on a mountain? Um, <laughs> why does he go? He does go up to he does go up and sit down, but that's not why he so sat down in a boat out on the ocean. Why does he go up on a mountain? To, no, he's he, he's calling them with him. He's not trying to escape this time. There's been other times. Why is he? It, I mean, there have been times when he's been when he was trying to escape, but this time is not that. That might be part of it, but there's something else. He goes up on a mountain. I want you to think back. Remember, this book was written to who? Yes. And what happened on a mountain in the Jewish history's past? Mount Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain, and came back with the law right? Jesus is purposefully echoing Mount Sinai here. That is his choice. He is echoing. Anytime you see an echo of Old Testament scripture, pay attention to it because it's there for a reason. That's how all of scripture works. Scripture does these little echoes 
all the time. And the reason it does those echoes is so that you will have that in your head as the context of what is about to happen. 